Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides mental health resources to people who are struggling with STI stigma. Now, Jess, you're our guest today. I can't remember how we ended up making this happen. Like, did you reach out to me first? I'm sorry. I'm so terrible about these things. That's why I try to interview people right away because it's top of mind. So, like, if we have to schedule something later, like, I need reminders about everything if I haven't taken any notes at all. Hey, yeah. So, I was listening to your last episode. I don't remember uh, which one it was, but um, you had mentioned that you were looking for more guests and I had always thought about you know um you know joining in on something like this and I reached out to you on Instagram about it oh, okay. and you were very excited <laughs> I was very what very excited oh yeah I get so excited when people reach out to me because like here's the thing so with people who have large followings I find it to be very troubling to like get them to um I don't know that they're excited about it. You know, I almost feel like they kind of do it like not to be an asshole, so to speak. Like I've had guests on who um, have larger followings who just like, for instance, haven't shared the podcast episode or like haven't followed up or reconnected with me at all. Um, And there's a lot of layers to what I think that might be from. But I know that I have a problem with like reaching out to people um now because of things like people wanting to know if it's going to be worth their time or how many listeners there are or um if there's any like money involved and i'm like damn bro i'm a non-profit like i should be asking you for money right um but yeah like i've just gotten my feelings hurt a few times like i remember one of the first people that i asked to be on she was someone who was talking about how she had herpes she's a speaker i'm not going to say her name but like when i reached out that was one of the first things she said she was like i don't think that it would be a good use of my time i was just kind of like bitter about that but at the same time it's like now i'm at a place where i don't need your story (laughs) like if anything you might need the publicity but i'm i'm really the reason that I was so excited is because it's these like everyday people stories that we need to hear because the majority of the people who are living with herpes, you have herpes, right? I don't even think I asked you. Yeah, so uh-huh. I have both uh, type one and type two. Okay, good. Because <laughs> that'd be funny if you were like, oh, wait, we, this podcast is about herpes? <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, that, that was just something that really rubbed me the wrong way. And I encountered very similar instances uh, over time. And so when someone genuinely just wants to offer their experience as a way of getting involved and supporting something positive for positive people and this growing community that we're part of, like it's ever growing. People are going to stop like having herpes, but people are going to always get herpes. And I mean, un- until, you know, maybe there's a cure vaccine or something that comes along, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. So uh, for the people who are, you know, just wanting to help, those are the stories that I want to get on here because those are the people who, you know, you have no reason to hear from them. They're not going to create social media pages saying they have herpes. They're not going to go out and recruit people to be a part of these social support groups and communities. Uh, They're just living their life. And I would love for more people to see that as an option for themselves to, see more representation from people who are okay with herpes than people who are like living out loud with herpes or who are like living under a rock with herpes because like there's this whole like maybe 15% of people are open 15% of people are miserable but there's just this whole other 70% in the middle of people who are just doing okay so with that all said, you know, let's let's hear about your story. Like, what were your first symptoms? How were you diagnosed? When? What was going on around that time? Go ahead. Yeah, well, actually, my story is a little long, I guess. Um, I got diagnosed um, by a blood test. So my doctor happened to be one of the few doctors, I guess, that actually will include it in a STI screening. So um, I had no idea that I was being tested for it, and I get a call, um, and they tell me I'm positive, and I was literally at work, and I pick up the call, I'm thinking, you know, whatever, nothing big, and, you know, I get that dropped on me, and I literally just start crying, like, total, like, meltdown, 
this was about five years ago, um, and this was actually with my first partner ever. So I knew who I got it from, um, and I was not very familiar with um, STIs or herpes or anything like that. So I immediately thought that, you know, he like cheated on me and all these things because I had gotten tested before and nothing ever really popped up. And then all of a sudden, you know, I have this uh, diagnosis and I think my life is over and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then fast forward about, um, well, I guess not fast forward because there was a lot in the middle there. Um, I kind of was in denial a little bit and I started looking up all like the false positive craziness and like, because I had never had symptoms. So I was just like, this has to be wrong. Like, you know, like my partner has never tested positive. Um, and I was just like, this has to be wrong. So for a while I was in denial that, you know, I didn't have it. And I actually got tested a couple more times after that and they were they kept turning up positive and I was like oh but you can't trust these tests like and all that kind of stuff and then eventually I ended up having an outbreak five years after that and that was kind of like okay well then I went to the doctor and I got the swab test and it was confirmed that I had um type 2 um and yeah Actually, in, for type 1, I was diagnosed um, as a child when I was 13, so I never really felt like I needed to disclose that because I was just told by the nurse, like, oh, it's just cold sores, like, you know, whatever, it's fine, you know, it, it, I, I didn't even know it was an STI when I was told about it at the age of 13, so, but yeah, that was uh, generally, like, my story of, you know, finding out uh, that I was positive. Yeah, and one of the things that I've learned uh, from healthcare providers, medical professionals, is that the differentiation between diagnosing someone with uh, HSV 1 or 2, the main difference is just, uh, like, you don't want to associate a child with an STI. So calling herpes HSV 1 implies that it was acquired at a younger age, maybe from kissing, from family, passed down, however it was, so that when a diagnosis is delivered at that point, like that's why they've called it type 1, oral, cold source, or given it any of those names. But to just completely disassociate from children, minority or minorities, minors, <laughs> and uh, any sexual activity. Uh, were you informed about that? I mean, you were 13 when you were diagnosed, but like, all you were told is that, hey, these are cold sores. It was literally like, I never thought about it again, honestly, until I started reading more about herpes and both of the types. And I started to kind of like, you know, educate myself. And then I was like, oh my God, I've had this thing for so long. And I didn't even realize like that it was contagious, like, like to that extent, you know, I didn't realize that you could pass it orally and uh, like, you know, through like oral sex and things like that. So I was completely oblivious to it. And I had honestly, like even forgotten about it mm -hmm. until, you know, at 13, you're diagnosed. So your parents were aware that you had herpes, right? At age 13. So what was their response to it? Like, I'm, were they, I'm sure they had to be there when you were diagnosed, yeah. right? So, yeah, my mom was there. Um, but that's the thing. It was just like, yeah, herpes, but it was just a cold sore. Like, they didn't really see it as, like, gen like genital herpes, I guess, like, you know, in the world where you're not really educated on STIs. It's just, you know, you know oral herpes is just a a cold sore so they didn't really like I think my dad gets cold sores all the time so it was just like oh it's just a cold sore it's nothing yeah all right now given you said wait five years before you had an outbreak so you were diagnosed and then you're just like getting tested finding out you have it you find out you have it you find out you have it with each test and then you have a outbreak five years after yep so well you know I was thinking um it's really strange because like I always thought like well maybe it was just like 
my symptoms weren't necessarily like a sore it was maybe just like a yeast infection or just kind of like some sort of like because I have had situations down there before but I mean that that's relatively normal for women to you know kind of have imbalances down there and have bad days down there but um but I remember my first like the first outbreak that I had was like very significant you know how you hear like your first outbreak is always like the worst one or in some sense like it was like that and then afterwards all the outbreaks after that were a lot less severe Mm -hmm. all right so you receive your diagnosis and don't have any outbreaks did you talk to your partner at all about your diagnosis you said you had one partner right so what was their response? It was um, an intense, it was a, a long response. We kind of like went through this for, I was with this person for six years. Um, uh, I think we were together for about two years when I found out. And he was in total denial. He was just like, I've used a condom every single with every single person. Like there's no way that I gave it to you and like all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, well... <laughs> no one else has been down there, so, um, but yeah, so he was pretty much in denial about it and um, just really upset about the way that I reacted because I was like a mess. I was just like, you're like the worst person in the world. You gave me this thing. Like, so I understand why he was a little, um, you know, not being the most understanding person at the time, but. But yeah, actually him and I were the ones kind of like Googling everything and and kind of talking about like, oh, well, there's like all these false positives. And we just kind of like eventually were like, well, it was false positive. Like there's no way we had it. We've we've never had symptoms. So we just kind of like put it in the back of our minds because I mean, we really didn't have to think about it much because we were, you know, with each other. We weren't planning on um, engaging, you know, in any kind of intimate acts with anyone else. So eventually it just kind of like got forgotten about. And then I, you know, I had my, my outbreak and yeah. Mm -hmm. And that just goes to prove the point of, you know, more often than not, people find out that they have herpes and they're already in their relationships, right? So there's really no need to seek out support if your support is coming from your partner and that's sufficient. So <clears throat> you two did a really good job of supporting one another at, through through this. Yeah, I think we could have done better, but you know, we we weren't educated on on how, you know, the virus transmits and how it presents and things like that. So it was like a long road of honestly like I thank herpes for my sexual education now because I honestly was so oblivious to how, you know, sexual health worked before herpes and like, you know, it's kind of like a a double-edged or I guess not a double-edged sword, but like it's like a bittersweet in a way because, you know, like it, it was hard for me at the time because of the stigma and things like that. Honestly, the outbreaks were not the worst part. The, the whole stigma and like, you know, kind of like working on your own stigma as well because I definitely had that stigma um, against, you know, STIs and things like that. But um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, uh, you were just saying that your herpes education served as a gateway to your sex education. Oh, episode yes. title. We're calling it that. Look, ooh, yeah, look, so, hold on, side note. Wait, how many tattoos you got? I'm sorry? You just pulled off your jacket. I see all these tattoos. Oh, you tatted up. I, I got a little nervous, so now I'm sweating. I had to take off my jacket. <laughs> but yeah, I'm covered in tattoos. I got ooh, more. I like it. All right, but yeah, Thanks. that's what you were saying. You were just talking about how your herpes diagnosis really led you down the path of being more educated about sexual health. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, well, honestly, like, my, I I remember my mom was going to, she was doing, like, a medical assistant program or something like that, and she had an internship at a 
at a hospital and I remember one day she came home and she was telling me about this girl that she saw that had like an awful herpes outbreak and she was like don't ever get herpes like it's awful blah 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 so that's kind of like what I had in my mind all the time and I remember that so clearly like and it was like 15 years ago at this point or something like that or more um so that was kind of (laughs) that was kind of my uh sex education honestly like I was just like all right herpes bad but I didn't really know what it was um but anyway um I got diagnosed and I started you know doing my own research and I actually I think I started on reddit and that's actually how I found uh your podcast um I started kind of going through reddit and like uh going to the herpes subreddit and um, just looking through the resources that they had in there and you know I started to learn about the differences between the two and um, from there I went more into kind of like looking for support so you know I found you I found um, Emily DePaz from Sex Education and I've learned a lot from her honestly I've gotten a lot of my sex education from her as well um, but yeah, I just kind of learned like, you know, my, I have one body and, you know, like I want to take care of it. And when it comes to being intimate with others, I don't take that, uh, very lightly anymore. You know, it's a very serious thing for me and I, you know, I want to do it right now and, you know, be careful and like have that open communication with, with your partner, you know, before you go ahead and start getting intimate how'd you deal with your mom (laughs) (laughs) honestly like it was it was interesting because she you know she told me that a while ago when I was a child but when I got diagnosed I was a mess so you know naturally you know my mom and I are fairly close so I you know I go to my mom and we kind of had a conversation and she was honestly great about it she was just like oh it's like you'll be fine like so many people have herpes like just calm down question (laughs) i'm not sure what changed question so at age 13 you're diagnosed by a doctor with herpes orally hsv1 so everyone in the room's aware that this is oral herpes so you have herpes your mom comes home from work one day after seeing a herpes outbreak and tells you don't ever get herpes. This was the worst outbreak I've ever seen in my life. Yep. So that's what happened, all right? Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right, just making sure that was what happened. I mean, we can be forgetful. And mind you, I guess this could have been years later. So from when you were 13 to what point? Uh, well, now I'm 27, and my mom has known about my diagnosis for about four or five years now okay yeah so i mean yeah i guess i'm not really sure what changed i think like maybe my mom was just a bit in shock from her internship and seeing all kinds of crazy stuff at hospitals but um but my mom is super supportive and she's always on you know she's uh an awesome mom okay (laughs) just taking care of her kid um how have you found uh, the support resources that you found um, to be useful? Like when we say, hey, you should look for support or when we say seek out support, uh, that's a very vague statement after having been in the support spaces for about five years now, I'm learning that there are, hi, my name is Courtney, hi Courtney, and I have herpes. Uh, here's how it's affecting me style support groups there's the social media pages where you can just go on there and vent there are places where you get to just lurk and see what other people have to say there are places where people get together and have like social functions and network and date and make friends and hook up and go into business partnerships and then there's also like flat out dating groups um, and there's places that you can go and get information so when we say seek support uh, it's a very vague statement. And for you, you went to Reddit, right? And Reddit 
uh, brought you to myself, Emily DePass, and uh, just that entire community space. So what do you feel like, as someone who's newly diagnosed, is one of the most important pieces or forms of support to seek out? I would say, it, it for me, it was more about like normalizing it for myself. You know, I there weren't too many people in my life that I could talk to about it. You know, it's not something that you can just have like a casual conversation with too many people. So I was really kind of like yearning for that normalization because I felt, you know, I felt like an outsider. I felt like, you know, like now I was tainted or like, you know, like now I was just like no good and like nobody was going to understand me and things like that. So honestly, looking back, like I really was just trying to feel normal again, you know, trying to you know, feel like, you know, other people understand what I'm going through and things like that. And, and I mean, that's what life is about at the end of the day, that human connection. And that's kind of what worked for me, you know, like, I honestly, like, I would on my really, 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 really bad days, what in terms of like me feeling down about, uh, like my diagnosis, I would, I would uh, listen to your podcast while taking a shower, and it would uh, literally. I would get out of the shower, and I'd be like, oh, "Whatever, don't care." <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad that it's it's helpful. Um, I've more so shifted focus uh, internally to make the podcast more useful. Uh, it is something positive for positive people's like product, service, tool, whatever. Um, Now, granted, yes, we're still raising money for people to get therapy. Um, A lot of people who come here already have a therapist, which I thought was really, like, wild to me. Because... Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Totally 100% therapy. Like, that... I, I I have a therapist, and I... That was, like, one of the first things I did was tell her about that, and... That helped immensely. So a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people don't tell their therapists that they have herpes, which I thought that this would probably be one of the more important things to tell them. But maybe we just don't consciously realize that this is something that impacts us as much as it does mentally. But uh, just for the most part, people who reach out, yeah, we offer uh, connecting people to a therapist. But if people already, you know, they have their therapist and... I find that, like you said, people really just want to feel connected to after their herpes diagnosis. So when someone new reaches out to me after their diagnosis, oftentimes, yeah, I'm probably one of the first people that they've met or come into contact with who can relate or who can understand just given that I'm talking to so many people on a regular basis. Oh, and by the way, I happen to have herpes, but just that. There's, there's something there to be explored with, you know, yes, you have a therapist and the therapist serves their purpose compared to someone who like just finds me or finds like a podcast episode that resonates with them. And they, like you just said, you know, they get out of the shower after listening and just feel like, ah. diagnosis and you feel like you can't talk to your therapist about it I think you probably need a new therapist that's one um but yeah like I just I felt like it was more of not one thing that helped me it was you know multiple things and then eventually I got comfortable enough with my diagnosis to where I started telling my close friends and it just kind of you know start small you know you don't have to like go all out and tell the world and things like that, you know, it's, it's a process and it's not linear by any means, but you know, you gotta do things that are going to kind of like, you know, help you understand what you're going through. And you know, that's not one thing that's, you know, that's going to be a combination of things like, you know, looking out for, for resources like this and, you know, reaching out to a therapist, reaching out to like family and friends and, that's pretty much what I did and then eventually I just kind of like it it, it, there's another thing like you know there's like the fear of the 
the unknown and I definitely feel like that's like where I was for a long time and I just got to know the situation a lot better and now I feel like that it's kind of like what what freed me in a way like now I understand perfectly what is happening with my body and what that means for my partner so at the end of the day it's like you know I know what's going on and I know how to deal with it at this point and I'm pretty comfortable with with diagnosis now it took a while but yeah after your first partner um after that relationship ended how long did it take for you to start dating again did you expect like what when you go to disclose to someone especially for the first time what do you expect their reaction to really be well my i that's the thing i didn't know what to expect but i naturally um go to the worst case scenario in my head so i just thought they were just gonna completely just be grossed out and disinterested and just be like all right well I guess I'll talk to you later and then just never call me back or something like that. And, um, (laughs) but you know, any of the times that it's never been like that, I feel like, you know, even if people, uh, were to like, you know, reject you in a way, like usually in my experience, you know, it's never been like a bad experience. It's just kind of like, it is what it is. You know, everyone's always been, um, you know, kind about it. Like, no one's ever been it, it, mean about it or anything like that. Okay. Now, what's been the worst resource that you found for uh, yourself after your diagnosis? Can you recall anything that you were just like, ah, never doing that again? Um, honestly, my, like, doctors. <laughs> I didn't Doctor- expect that. That's valid, and uh, it's a very relatable experience because so many people come on and they say that their doctor told them, oh, well, just wear condoms, you don't have to disclose. Same thing that you've been told. Exactly. So, And it, it just made me feel alone because I knew that didn't sit right with me. And, you know, I have this medical professional in front of me telling me, like, something totally opposite than what I have found on my own. And I was, you know, it just, it makes you feel a little lonelier. It's just kind of like, I don't know, it it wasn't a good feeling um, talking to, um, like, my primary doctors and stuff like that. Now I don't really bring it up ever unless, you know, it's like a therapy session or something like that. Mm, Okay. Um, What did therapy look like for you after you told your therapist you have herpes? Like, what was some of the uh, dialogue between you and your therapist? Well, I mean, I was, my whole thing was like, no one's ever going to want to date me ever again. And my therapist is like very, very 
just kind of looked at me and she was just like, do you know something I don't? Like, can you look into the future? Like, how do you know this for a fact that no one's ever going to want you? And yeah, it just kind of went through that. Honestly, it was so long ago, but that's kind of like what I remember, um, kind of like working through with her like because I I mean I tend to do this in other aspects of my life where I just think things are just gonna be the worst outcome in the world um if I have you know some sort of anxiety about it or something but it was really just working through my own um you know judgments on myself and things like that that's kind of really what it was like it kind of like I said in the beginning like working through the stigma that I had you know like that I had kind of built up in my head and and like you know teasing that out would you say that the stigma that we're told is different than the stigma that we believe what do you mean by that so when I was diagnosed I'll use myself here as an example um Prior to that, herpes was something that people who had a lot of sexual partners got. It was something that, you know, of course, nobody wanted. And, you know, you just got it from not using condoms, right? So upon diagnosis, having used condoms, as I was told, uh, (coughs) having now what understanding I had about herpes from those things, it brought it into me so that now I was these things, even though they con- they conflicted. I didn't have a lot of sexual partners and I wasn't someone who wasn't cautious with my partners in terms of like wearing protection. Right. Um, so I've got these conflicting beliefs, but yet the stigma of, that's out there about people outside of me has now come in here and not only do I now believe those things, but it's also uh, something that's like shaping my behavior in the way of how I choose or chose to date. And I mean, even now, like it's it's got its after effects still. But even at that point in time, it was like, man, like I and I never even thought this uh, until way later. But it was like, damn, now I can only date other people who have herpes. But it evolved into that over years. Before that, it was, I'm not going to find anybody. Nobody's going to want to date me, right? Mm-hmm. So what I mean by um, was the difference, was the stigma different out there versus in here was uh, I know that, you know, in one way we can stigmatize others. But when we're impacted, we stigmatize ourselves. So I guess what I'm asking is what did your self-stigmatization look like for you? Honestly, I, it was more like, uh, I guess like an internal stigma. I honestly, before I got herpes, I don't really think I thought about STIs much at all. Like, which is, you know, really sad, (laughs) but, um, it was mostly just like about myself. You know, I was just, I was worried about, you know, like, you know, giving it to someone else and like, you know, it, it was really like, I never really thought, um, like, uh, an STI meant that you were, like, um, I don't know, like, uh, abnormally promiscuous or something like that, um, I knew that it was something that, you know, could happen to anybody, but it, it was definitely more just me kind of, like, sulking in my, you know, myself, I kind of being disappointed that I, you know, I didn't, you know, protect my body, and just kind of feeling let down, you know, like, you know, I, it, kind of like that, I guess, it, it just felt like, like, I let myself down, and, and eventually, I mean, it was just kind of like, a, a lot of people go through this, it, it doesn't mean that, like, you know, it, it can happen even with a condom, and things like that, so you can take all the right precautions, and it can still happen, so, yeah, I, and like, like I said, it, it was with my first partner, so, whether you have a hundred partners or or one partner, like you can just as easily get it. And actually, I've read that it's more likely that it, you're more likely to get it with like a long term partner than you know, um, like people that. I guess like you're more likely to get it when you like frequently have sex with someone who has it. So kind of like a 
a long-term partner and that's kind of I guess like why sometimes you see a lot of people um are diagnosed when they're already in, in like what like married so um but yeah I don't know I, I just I didn't really think about it um outside of like my own body too much okay um taking it back to the comment about like having herpes the herpes education leading to your more so developed sex education overall. Um, I feel like, and you can just agree with me or disagree with me here, given that we come to a place of like willingness and uh, having a need and scratching an itch to understand this virus, this diagnosis, how this could have happened and we go down the line of accumulating all of this information like how do you think or how do you see um this being something that's useful to the world like whether you have stis or not like given that we're the people that we go in and we find all of this different information and all of these styles and we have all of our experiences but there's just no single place out there that shares all of the resources for not only herpes education but overall just like sex education given the experience that you have because i'm sure you turned into a full-fledged detective when you got diagnosed and you were investigating uh this virus right so like what i'm i'm i guess i want to see more people who go through this experience have the resources necessary to apply their experiences to a consistent science or to consistent uh, like research information because I believe that the research on herpes is more so outdated. I believe that it's not really inclusive to the diverse range of people because like even my podcast isn't very representative of the herpes population. I speak with behind the scenes for more black people who are living with herpes than I interview on my podcast. If you go through and you listen through the archive, you'll hear 90% of my interviewees or my interview guests are not all the way straight cisgendered white women. And that's, you know, who is represented like publicly. You'll see that when you look up any herpes activist, herpes advocate, or a person with herpes, you have so you have this broad array of white women who are living with herpes and saying, "Hey, this is no big deal." But when I get these messages behind the scenes, it's like, "We don't have this. I don't have this." Being we, being people of color or black people. Uh, specifically just feeling not represented and I think that like the more representation that we have like we have access now to more people who are willing to get involved to some extent in order for us to get better information in order for us to get better treatment in order for us to uh, really have more options to choose from in terms of how we navigate the stigma so bringing that whole thing back full circle I ask you, like, I believe that we ourselves, people with herpes, are the go-to resource for herpes. And so given our uh, education information consumption, like if we can communally come together and get consistent information and like take in these experiences, like and be a safe space for people to want to include their own information, their own experiences, I think that we have... A completely different upcoming generation who knows how to disclose their part to their partner so this reduces the risks of uh, people not disclosing we have people who are able to educate their healthcare providers and step into the medical community if they aren't already a part of it so that now when people are given a diagnosis they're met with not stigma but they're met with the proper resources so that they can go on and do their healing and also when people are talking to their sexual partners like this isn't something that should stop at i have herpes and then you hear crickets it's something that needs to be a far more extensive conversation about overall sexual health between you them however many people there are um and and then some Mm -hmm. yeah 
research, I definitely think it's it's about the medical field really understanding that, you know, just because it's a condition that isn't life-threatening doesn't mean that it, it doesn't affect your life in, you know, in extreme ways. Like, you know, we see how people's mental health is being affected by this. So I definitely think, like, the medical industry needs to understand that, that, that it is something that, you know, should be uh, researched heavily and, and, you know, we should have that information available to us. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't have to guess about this information, you know? So that's one thing, but yeah, 100% with the support, like the, the main, uh, resource for, you know, emotional support and also just like gathering the information that is out there is definitely you know in the community with those people who have experienced you know um with the sti and things like that so it's definitely um kind of like a synergy here (laughs) yeah and it all it's all connected it all goes together uh and while each of our experiences are unique, there are, of course, different patterns. And a few of those patterns being uh, the sex education that we were given does not equip us to handle an SCI diagnosis. And so not only that, but, you know, if you extend it beyond the sexual health piece, uh, many of the conversations that I've had and you and I haven't specifically talked about your relationship with the guy that you were with. But uh, I want to ask you, do you consider it to have been abusive in any way, shape, or form? Whether it be emotionally, mental? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would def- it was definitely traumatic for me. Um, I, you know, I love and care for this person. But, you know, there were a lot of things that were a little difficult. Like, this person dealt with a lot of... Um, mental health situation so it's just something that um you know it was more like a a verbally emotionally abusive kind of thing but it's you know relationships are complicated and you know eventually I kind of you know realized what my priorities were and you know where I wanted to you know, where I kind of saw myself in the future and the future that I was seeing for myself, I, I wasn't really, um, it didn't really appeal to me. So I, you know, I made the decision that we had to, you know, separate and it, it was a really hard decision because, you know, I love and care for this person. This person was pretty much family to me, but when it comes to, you know, that one thing that's like significantly affecting your relationship, you have to make that, that decision. But yeah, it was definitely, um, not a healthy relationship by any means. Mm -hmm. And damn, I I was hoping that you'd prove me wrong, but that's been majority (laughs) of the guests that I've interviewed. They've shared some element of abuse. Like, uh, a common story is, I should have left the relationship a long time ago before I got this diagnosis. And then another story is the diagnosis being held over someone's head, right? So we got two aspects of abusive relationships here that sex education ought to really teach us to be able to honor our boundaries, create boundaries and manage relationships so that we don't even find ourselves welcoming in uh, closeness to potentially abusive partners and not only that but like teaching people that abuse is not okay like not only do women need to hear and learn that no means no and that they can in fact ask for what it is that they want but abusers whether you know abusers can be any gender or sex uh, need to know that this is not okay it's not okay for you to disrespect someone's boundaries it's not okay for you to Uh, assert your boundaries onto the other person in a way that violates their own either and it's just that that manipulation that abuse like it's not okay and because sex education is so condom pregnancy sci focused it's almost like there isn't space uh for the mental health pieces of that 
like again being able to manage your relationships being able to set boundaries know that your no means no and know that no means no if you're on the receiving end of that and then being able to like even seek support so when you test positive for an sti or if you are finding yourself in an abusive relationship you have the tools in place that you need in order to reach out for support or seek some kind of help because that's another thing that people struggle with is like just thinking they don't have anywhere to go or thinking that they can't get any kind of help and that's part of what abusers do so if we're able to recognize this shit early and often and not only like recognize red flags but be taught to acknowledge and recognize green flags i think that we find ourselves in a lot more uh, situations where the people I'm interviewing at least are like, oh, well, you know, my partner told me that they had herpes and we we talked about it and we looked up the information together and I made the choice. Like, I want to hear more of that shit. Like, that's not, that's not uh, something that's commonly told here, but it's something that I've, I've heard consistently where, you know, someone might have gotten out of a relationship where they were like, yeah, the, my partner did tell me I took my risk and we didn't work out for other reasons. And I ended up with the virus. So, like, that's one of these uh, common untold stories that, you know, we don't necessarily get. But I, I welcome more of those situations because I just looked up and over my last, like, seven episodes, abuse has come up. And I'm like, damn, has this been a thing? And then just looking back on different interviews I did, it is a thing, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah we're going into, a lot of us are going into relationships just like completely raw, not knowing how to, you know, share our needs and or even like, like thinking about the fact that that's something that we need to share, you know, like that needs to be discussed and and you know agreed upon and things like that you know like for me like I just kind of like went into a relationship blindly and didn't really understand how to have conversations with my partner I didn't really understand that I needed to have these conversations with my partner and I definitely now I when I you know when I meet someone I totally like it almost becomes like an interview. I mean, not, you know, not like a monotone kind of thing, but, you know, it, I feel like you definitely have to treat it like like an interview, even if you totally jive with the person. Like, be curious, you know, ask questions, and, you know, don't be afraid to tell them what you need. And, and if that's something that doesn't gel well with them, you know, perfect. Now you know that, and now you can move on. Yeah, and... So. Moving on is a skill even. Like, walking away, unfortunately, is something that we got to learn how to do. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and it took me a long time to do that, but I did it. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. You know, like, I can sulk all I want about, you know, the six years I spent with that person where I was... You know, I, I had some pretty bad days during those six years and also some pretty good days. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I made I made the best decision for myself no matter how long it took. And I'm just really happy that I had the strength to do that and, and that, you know, I actually took the time to observe what I wanted you know like kind of like get in touch with yourself and really understand what it is that you need and, and you know go after that mm. I know it's easier said than done but you know it, it baby steps yeah I like that I like uh I think that we should end here um that was a really good closing point do you have anything else that you want to leave us with before I close this out and let you go appreciate it um thank you for reaching out thanks for being here thank you for just sharing your experience period awesome thank you so much for having me um i'm gonna check in with the instagram live if you want to stick around i see a lot of typing yeah. but i don't know if any of these are like questions for you so um i'm gonna grab my phone hopefully not make any subtle movements with this microphone <laughs> let me see uh, 
don't want to say names or anything. This is this is complicated. So I just started doing this uh, Instagram live when I do podcasts. I saw a shit ton of comments. That's cool. Like there's a lot of people in here. Oh, my girlfriend's here. Let's see. What up, positive people? Oh, what up, Mike? Person, I almost said your whole damn name. You got a whole lot of uh, like contribution there. Oh, I messed up. Nope, didn't mean to do that. All right, here we go. Oh, nope, did it again. <laughs> um, yeah, if anyone's in here and has like a question for the guest or something, we got a few minutes. Um, if you want to ask him anything, someone loves what you're saying, and they say we have to break down our own stigmas around STIs. Uh, someone else said Reddit was a lifesaver when they got diagnosed. Someone else said they're thankful for Reddit and that it's sad that they don't get the same advice from healthcare providers that they get from Reddit. Uh, <laughs> someone says, I wish the CDC could get involved with resources that break down SCI stigma. Someone gets their therapy through school and wishes they had more knowledge about this. Um, someone said, I think the crazy part about herpes is that there's no one size fits all management. There's so many tricky parts to it. Do, do, do. My university stopped administering the HPV vaccine because it was too expensive. Do, do, do. Oh, someone, oh, a man said, I think it's much easier on a woman than a man. Uh, I'm going to make the assumption that you're saying that because it's like a general thing that women have more opportunities for sexual partners than men that's my assumption i could be completely wrong but what are your thoughts on that like do you think that herpes is easier on a woman than a man i mean i wouldn't be able to to say whether or not it's easier on a man or a woman i think i think everyone's whether you're a man or a woman, I think everyone's uh, experience is different. Like, I'm, sh I'm sure there's women who have had a very different experience than mine. I don't, I'm not sure if um, it has to do too much with your gender, but honestly, I, I don't know because I, I haven't met any men other than my partner, my, my ex-partner, uh, that are positive. But actually, um, I did talk to him after we broke up and he said he had no issues. So okay. Yeah, I, I think it's mostly like I, I made the assumption that, you know, this is something where it's like opportunities for partners because women society deems, you know, the, the chooser. Like you have the options, the opportunities because men typically have to pursue the woman. Um, mm -hmm. But I think from an emotional standpoint, uh, generally men don't know how to do emotions and this is an emotional thing. So if you can't process and handle emotions or if you're not seeking mental support, then this is going to be a lot more tricky for you to navigate, especially on your own. Like community to me has been one of the most healing things that people can find themselves in because not only do you begin to learn what works for other people, but you can kind of take bits and pieces from other people and see what works for you. When you see enough people around you that this isn't a big deal for, you start to question like, damn, am I tripping? Like, why am I tripping? And once you're open to exploring that, uh, you can begin the healing process. So uh, that closes that out. Someone laughed at the face I made probably when you were talking about your mom and how she said, uh, <laughs> I saw the worst herpes. Uh, someone's RN gave them a pamphlet and walked out of the room and re oh my God. they remember having all types of questions for the doctor and her only to wow. answer to be just be safe. She's like, like how I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, that's kind of like, I was told by the secretary. I, I couldn't even, I had to call back and talk to the doctor and be like, can you put the doctor on the phone, please? I got questions. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, we got someone who's just like looking for a friend to understand what they're dealing with. And, you know, it goes back to the whole community piece. Like when we are able to find that there are people who are okay with this and at a good place and surround ourselves with that kind of content and those people, healing becomes a lot easier because we're so supportive. Someone's been died. Oh, same person diagnosed for two weeks. So yeah, like being newly diagnosed, you don't really know what it is that you need maybe. Um, but 
you're taking the steps because you're looking, you're here, you're reaching out, you're asking questions and you're looking for some kind of support. Uh, people are supporting that person. Da, da, da. This person wants to be educated. Oh, they got pointed to Reddit. Hey. <laughs> uh, education helps with disclosure. Oh, the, hey, the person that was uh, reaching out says they're feeling better already. That's what, I'm, that's what the fuck I'm talking about. I made it this whole podcast without cussing, and then I do that. Now I got to mark it explicit. Oh, that sucks. A couple times, sorry. You didn't cuss at all. I think. I didn't. I usually nah. do. It's pretty bad. Been waking up the last two weeks. Like, wow, yeah, bro, it's gonna get easier. All right. Ooh, what up, Jordan? Vagina, vulvas, and uh, there's another V. Ah, I forgot the other V. And vibrators podcast. <laughs> there's a disconnect between the doctor's office and mental health. Yes. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, you're right, Mike. Physical health, mental health, and sexual health are so interwoven. Mm-hmm. Somebody's just thankful that there's this community to encourage each other. Hey, the Human Care Podcast joined. Okay. Boundaries are important. We got some acknowledgement here about people. Okay, people connected. Let's go. All right. Oh, someone said, I think women make it harder on themselves. Uh, if that person's still in here, can you elaborate in the comment so we can touch on that? Uh, oh, my face was when... Oh, we're getting to the end. Okay, the face that I made was when you talked uh, about your doctor. That was when I made a face. <laughs> Courtney, I have a prior comment and can't make the yoga session. Oh, commitment. I think you meant commitment. Uh, yes. Um, the way this is going, I think this might be like a monthly thing where we do like a yoga fundraiser and I invite like a good yoga teacher until I'm comfortable enough to do it myself. Um, okay. So Mike, cause I've been saying Mike this whole time. I'm just going to go ahead and say, Mike, Mike has a question. Do you feel that you've become more comfortable with catastrophizing after your diagnosis and therapy? That is the wrong word. Wait, that I said the wrong word. Catastrophizing. No, I said the right word. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. I read it. It was a different way. It was written differently than what I said, but what I said was right. Catastrophizing. If I feel better about it now? I think I'm going to have to Google this. Like, are you not making it a catastrophe? Well, I guess was maybe like like if I feel silly or something about um making it such a big deal from the very beginning but I I don't I don't feel any kind of I don't feel negatively about how I handled everything I think I handled it um just like any person with my level of knowledge would have handled it and you know eventually I ended up you know, not catastrophizing it anymore and moving into educating myself and things like that. So, I mean, it's, it was definitely like a hard time and, you know, it, it, it would be nice to avoid hard times, but that's life. If it wasn't herpes, you know, something else. So Ooh. Yeah, you must have really listened to the podcast unless you just came up with that on your own. Cause I remember just saying it like early on, I was like, if it wasn't herpes, it'd be something else. Like <laughs> not necessarily an STI, but like something that provides us with some kind of like a challenge that we need to rise up against and yeah. find a way to heal from it. Um, Oh, Sean, I appreciate that, man. So damn, I, I gotta stop saying names <laughs> because I already said it. Sean said the podcast kind of eased his mind a little. Um, as, as best as possible is enough until we learn how to do better. So this is just a comment on what you just said. Um, and yeah, someone loved that. All right. I'm gonna go ahead and let our guests go and then I'll close this out here. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being here again. Um, if you are listening to this and you want to support something positive for positive people and our efforts to 
get people connected to mental health resources who are struggling with the trauma of their STI diagnosis, you can go to www.spfpp.org. And that's just the acronym of something positive for positive people.org. Also have that URL if you're someone who can't remember acronyms. So you can type in something positive for positive people.org. And on the homepage, you'll see options to donate. If you cannot or don't want to support financially, then you can just share a podcast episode, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, uh, consume the content. The more consumption, the more it gets out there, the more it gets promoted, the more guests we have, the more like community members that we have who are aware that they have access to community and they can begin to go on their own healing journey. So uh, this is this is something that can be a lot more useful if every one of us who are finding support through this resource are willing to share that we're finding support through this resource till next time stay sex positive